Good morning, church. God is good. All the time. Even when there's 13. Is that how many they said? Listen, I, I have, uh, I, and I told Kenny this in Sunday school, uh, I have preached to two people before, and, uh, and one of them was her. Uh, we, uh, we first went to... Uh, First went to Logan. They had a little congregation attached to that charge. Was the Holden Community Church? They wasn't even a Methodist church, uh, but the Methodists furnished them with a pastor. So I happened to be the pastor since I was at Nybert Memorial. And uh, on a good Sunday, you had uh, seven. seven. Yeah, <laughs> on, that was on a good Sunday. You had seven people there. It was just uh, a, an older congregation. And they just wanted to keep the doors open. And on, on Sundays when there was snow, then the, it dwindled down. And there was one Sunday, it was really terrible, it was icy. And there was one man, I think Mason Mayo was there, and Nancy. And that was it. But I, I still preached. Uh, I preached. And, and, I, uh, and you know what? I never fault people for going on vacation. Everybody needs to go on vacation. Everybody does. Everybody needs time to get away and, and just relax and, uh, and do nothing. What's that? Sure, he did. Absolutely. So, so uh, vacation, vacation is good. It's good. Uh, if you want to uh, read along with me uh, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 15, just go there, verse 34. That's down next to the end of the chapter. And then I want to read a few verses in, uh, in chapter 16. 1, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 34. <clears throat> then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely... The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, had him to pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then said, Shemaiah, pass by. And Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. 
So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health, had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. And I'm going to read three verses to you from Mark chapter 4. I'll just read it to you real quick. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 30. These are the words of Jesus when he says, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted in the ground, it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Pam was talking about the song. You know, I'm, I'm not a real big contemporary song person. I'm, I'm, I'm Southern gospel, all right? That's just that's the, the kind of gospel music I like. But when I'm out in the garage, that's the only music I can get. That's the only song, um, radio station I can pick up. And that song you talked about, uh, I've, I've heard that a lot. And we, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? People say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. Better than I deserve. So on, right? And I am doing better than I deserve, but I don't, I don't deserve to feel good at all. Uh, but have, have, if you think for a moment, I'll bet you can remember someone who seemed like maybe they were going through the most terrible of times, uh, and they lived with the attitude that, you know what, God is faithful. God, God is faithful no matter what. No matter what, God is faithful. Now, I'm not talking about people who just say it. I mean, anybody can say it, all right? But I'm talking about people who lived the life that they demonstrated that. No matter what they were going through, God is faithful. Listen to this Old Testament scripture from the book of Habakkuk. Listen to what Habakkuk says. This, this, is, a, this is like a vision that Habakkuk is having. It's in Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 and 18. Listen to what he says. Though the fig trees do not bud, there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crops fail and the field produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk, he's seeing a, uh, he has this vision and, and, and he sees just the countryside, total desolation. Uh, it, it could have been maybe the invading Babylonian army. It could have been some uh, natural calamity. But, but it's just devastating loss everywhere he looks. But he says, you know what? <laughs> I can still rejoice in the God of my salvation. What about in Job? Job lost everything he had, Right? He lost it all. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You know, I love those passages of Scripture, and I love being around people like that. I really do. They have been, for me, an inspiration over the years, and I have come in contact with a lot of them. I'm telling you. And I know, and I know you probably don't know any of these people but, but, but people like, like a fellow who's one of my parishioners at one time, his name was George McDermott. 
dying of liver cancer. And I went to see him just a few weeks before he died. And, and, he, and he, said, he said, Richard, I know God could heal me if he wants. But you see, whether he does or whether he doesn't, I still win. Either way, I win, he says. And I think about people like Stella J. Martin, who told me right before the, that they, they put her to sleep, that she was in surgery, and she said a thought went through her mind. She said, you know, if I wake up, okay, and if I don't, it's still okay. Or, or James Holston, whom I went to visit just a few days before he died of lung cancer. And I spent a couple hours with him, and I got ready to leave, and I started out the door, and he said, Richard, and I turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, I'll see you on the other side. Man, don't you like being around people like that? No matter what, God, God is faithful no matter what. And I think you can add the prophet Isaiah to that list of people. I, I really do. And, that, and that's what we're going to look at. You can put him in that group because, because this is an example of what it means to live by faith in God. For Samuel, it meant that he could trust God no matter what, no matter what he was going through. That, that, that's the life that he lived. Today's scripture tells us that Samuel is going to Bethlehem. He's going to the house of Jesse. Now, three or four weeks ago, Nancy and I were here. She played the piano one Sunday. John was preaching. I was sitting right back there. And John told you, or he told all of us, because I was here, John said, Jesse is the grandson of who? Oh, he'd be disappointed. <laughs> okay, Jesse is David's father, right? And Jesse is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Remember he talked about Ruth and Boaz. Yeah, so that, that's the, this family line. So that, that's where he's going. He's, he's on his, Samuel's on his way to Bethlehem. He's going to the house of Jesse, and he's going there for one reason. He's going to anoint a new king, isn't he? He's going to anoint a new king over Israel. Uh, and little does he know, he has no idea that it's going to be this young shepherd boy, this little shepherd boy that, that's out in the field. And in this story, we can see hints of what it means, what I've been talking about, about living in faith, living in faith in God. You see, the best way to live is, is, is not being consumed with, with, with all of our problems and all the worldly problems. I mean, I, I don't even watch the evening news. I watch the local news, but I don't watch the national news anymore. There's nothing I can do about it. I just pray for our leaders and go on, okay? And, and I'm a happier person for it, just to be honest with you. But, I mean, the way to live is not to be consumed with all of it, but just have faith that God is going to work all things together for our good. He said he would. He promised us he would do that. So the first thing I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture this morning is, is, is that we are told that we are not to spend our time living in the past. We're, we're, we're to let it go because that's the very thing that Samuel is doing here. At the beginning of this Scripture, Samuel is mourning over who? He's mourning over King Saul, isn't he? He's, he's mourning over him. And the Lord, we were told that the Lord was grieved that he had even made Saul king over Israel. See, there was a time when, when the prophet Samuel, when he thought that anointing Saul as the first king of Israel, this was his most important accomplishment as God's representative. Samuel perhaps thought this was the most significant deed of his entire lifetime, was anointing him as king. However, Saul's rule as king didn't turn out so good, did it? 
I, actually, it was devastating. He was terrible. He, he, he was a terrible king. He was disobedient to God. He took it upon himself to make a sacrifice to God. Kings don't offer sacrifices to God. Kings don't do that. Kings were chosen instruments to, to run the country. Saul wasn't, wasn't anointed to do this. But the prophet Samuel, he's a consecrated holy man. They were the ones that were to offer sacrifice to the country. So Saul, Saul doesn't turn out to be a very good king. And because Samuel believes that anointing Saul, probably the most important accomplishment of his career, so he's feeling a little depressed. He, he's in mourning, okay? You probably know people like that. You probably know people that are grieving over things in their life that happened years ago. They may be grieving over a wayward child. They may be grieving over uh, the loss of a job. They, they just can't get over it. They can't let go of it. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. Grief is necessary. Okay? It is. It, it really is. And, and the past is important. But the purpose for grieving is to move on. The purpose for grieving is you don't stay stuck in sadness, the purpose for grieving is so we can heal from the past, let go of it, and then move on. You probably, maybe you've heard of Carl uh, uh, Walenda. He was probably the greatest high-wire uh, walking artist uh, ever, of all time. You may remember his son, his grandson, more than him. His grandson was Nick Walenda. He was the one, back several years ago, that walked across the Grand Canyon. If you remember, Nancy and I, we watched that on TV. Man, I was sitting on the edge of my seat the whole time he's walking on that wire across the Grand Canyon. Uh, that, anyway, that, that's, uh, that's his grandson. So Carl Walenda, at the age of 73 years old, had decided he was going to do a high-wire stunt. He was going to walk between two skyscrapers in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And the day come for him to do the walk, and the wind was blowing harder than, than they would have liked. And it was said that, that several people tried their best to talk him out of this walk, but nothing would do it. He was going to do it. Pride swelled up at them. He was going to do it. So he grabbed his pole, his balance pole, and he started walking across the wire, and there was a gust of wind that came, and, and hundreds of people there was watching, and he lost his balance, and he fell to his death in the streets of San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, people, high-wire experts will tell you that, that the pole, the balance pole, is life. But there does come a time to when you may need to let go of it and grab a hold of the wire. But he couldn't let go of it. And they said that when they retrieved his body from the streets, he had such a grip on that balance pole that he couldn't hardly get it out of his hands. You see, people go through life holding on to the past, holding on to something or someone or some sadness or some past event. But people of faith don't do that. People of faith let go and let God take over. God asked Samuel here in chapter 16, verse 1, he says, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Is, is God asking you that question this morning, perhaps? Is God asking you, how, how long are you going to mourn? When, when, are, when are you going to stop living in the past? When, when are you going to stop living and thinking about the way things used to be and, and not being able to see what God has for you right now? When, when will you stop driving the car looking in the rearview mirror? When? When you hit something. 
<sighs> you see, when things keep us in the past and we can't leave, that's when we need to ask God's help. God's help to let it go. You see, I promise you, I, I promise you, God didn't make a, a mistake in your particular situation. He didn't. He did not. You know, there was a, uh, a church in Logan when we were there, uh, First Presbyterian Church. Beautiful, beautiful church. Uh, great, great building. Years before we got there, they had a pastor. Uh, his name was Norman Morgan. And I heard that name hundreds of times while we were there because apparently he, he was an incredible pastor. Uh, and the, the, I mean, not just to that church, but like to the whole community. Uh, people just, they loved him and, and everyone talked about him and the church grew and it flourished. I mean, he must have just been an incredible pastor. And he was there for over 20 years with that same church. But there come a time when he retired. And when he retired, him and his wife moved to North Carolina. And that congregation just couldn't let go of him. They just could not let go of Norman Morgan. And every new pastor that was sent their way was dead on arrival because he wasn't Norman Morgan. He couldn't live up to this expectation that they were expecting from him. And, 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 and while we were there, that church just constantly continued to lose membership. And they were just, when we were there, they were just a handful of people attending that once church that was thriving and busting out at the seams. And everyone knew what the problem was, except for them. Yeah, change. We were talking about that in Sunday school. And I'll never forget, we had, a, we had a very strong ministerial association. The pastors of that community, look, we met every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock. We met and spent an hour and a half together every Wednesday morning. And, and, and the third Sunday in every month, we had uh, a worship service together in different churches. And at this particular time, we were in First Baptist Church. And Rex Thompson was the, was the pastor there, and he was leaving. He was getting ready to leave. He was going, he had taken another appointment. So he was addressing all of these churches in Logan. And he, he would call out each one, Nibert Memorial, and he talked about them for a little bit. And he would talk about uh, the Episcopal Church and the Catholic Church. And then he came come to First Presbyterian Church. He said, First Presbyterian, look at me. Norman Morgan is gone, and he ain't coming back. Get over it. He said, and I thought, buddy, it's a good thing you're leaving town today. <laughs> but we, but we, got, we had to let it go. We had to, and, and because they could not let it go, their church, their church was dying. So the second thing, the second lesson, the first lesson is let go of the past. The second lesson in this passage of Scripture is God doesn't see things the way you and I see things, does he? He does not. Thank goodness he doesn't. When Samuel arrives at the house of Jesse, now like any father of that time period, what Jesse is going to do, he's going to bring his oldest son first, and he's going to go down the line, all right? Surely when he brings uh, Eliab before Samuel, Samuel's looking at Eliab, and he's saying, man, this, this guy, he's, look at him. He's handsome, good looking, he's strong, he, he, he's brave, he's heroic. He's looking at the outward appearance, right? Just like he did when he anointed Saul. He's still thinking about Saul. He can't let it go. He, and then the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord says, do not consider his appearance 
or his height? The Word of God says, for I have rejected him. Samuel can't get over Saul. Scripture tells us when Samuel anointed Saul as king over Israel, said he was the most handsome man of all of Israel, said he stood head and shoulders above all the other men in Israel, in the land. Samuel is about ready to make the same mistake again. He's about ready to anoint Eliab as king. You see, Saul looked good. Saul looked the part. He looked like a king. He looked the part, but he didn't have the heart that it took to lead God's people. Eliab's outward appearance, he's, he's tall, he's good looking, but God says, I have rejected him. God tells Samuel that I have not chosen him. In fact, I have not chosen any of the seven sons of Jesse. Now, I'm not saying they're bad men. They, they, may, they, may, have been, they may have been great guys, but God said, I haven't chosen any of them. God has someone in mind different than Samuel's expectations, okay? Can I say that again? God has someone different in mind from Samuel's expectations. Church, listen to me. Listen to me. Are you listening? Say amen. Somebody say something. I mean, I know there's not many of us here, but gee whiz. <laughs> God has someone in mind to stand behind this pulpit every Sunday. Amen? amen? Carol and I talked about this last Sunday back here at the door. And she said something about me praying for this church. I said, Carol, this church has been on my prayer list since I first started coming here, ever how long ago it was. And I pray, this is what I pray, God, you send the person you want to this church. Whoever it is you want, you send them to this church. Now, I don't know what your expectations are. I don't know who you're looking for or, or, or what you're expecting in a new pastor. But can I please say this? Let God make the choice. Amen? Amen. Let God make the choice. Not you. I was going to say not me, but I don't have a say in it. <laughs> all right? But let God make the choice. So Samuel looks at all of these sons of Jesse, every one of them, and God says, I haven't chosen one of them, not a single one. And, and, and Jesse says, Is these, are these all the sons you have? Well, no, there's one more. I have one more. He's out in the field. He's taking care of the sheep. Well, bring him here. You know how old David was at this time? They say he's somewhere between 10 and 15 years old. That's how old he is. And they bring him in, and, and he stands there. He's the youngest one of the whole group, the most unlikely to be picked. And God says, that's the one. That's the one. Anoint him. And he anoints a 10, a 10 to 15-year-old kid, the most unlikely person anyone could have ever thought of, to be king over Israel. God needs to remind Samuel here, I don't look at things the way you look at things. God looks at the heart. You look at the outward appearance. God says, I look at the heart. How many times in life has something happened to you that you thought was so wonderful and it turned out to be nothing but a nightmare? You ever been there? Yeah, I have. I, I, I have been there. How many times, how many times... Has a tragedy come into your life, Tim, <laughs> right? And that was a springboard to something better than you could have ever imagined. 
You see, I remember last year about this time standing right out there in that parking lot saying to you, Tim, I know right where you, I know where you are right now. I've been there. <laughs> you remember? You and I had that conversation. I've been there. I don't know what God has in store for you, but it's something you could have never imagined. It's a job you love, isn't it? It's a job you would have never dreamed that you could have had. You see, God doesn't see things the way you and I see things. So many times we think that we, we've got it all figured out. You ever been there? I've done, oh, I know what God's doing here. I, I see why. No, I was so far off base. I had no, I had no idea. But life teaches us a valuable lesson that God doesn't see things the way that we see things. Many times in life, things will unfold in an unpredictable way. And that's when we need to be like the people I was talking about earlier. You know what? God is faithful no matter what. Faith is trusting in God when things turn out for our benefit and even when they don't. Because in the big scheme of things, you know what? You and I don't see the big picture, do we? Guess who does? God. Alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. I see it all. I see the end from the beginning. That's the God we serve. That's the God that loves you, church. And that's the God that will provide the pastor that he wants you to have, that he knows that you need. Okay, so what, and what can we learn from this story this morning? Okay, number one. We don't live in the past, right? We let it go. And if we're struggling with letting it go, then that's when we need to ask God, help us. Lord God, help me to let go of this. Second thing, God doesn't see things the way you and I see things. And the last thing I want to bring out is big things often start as little tiny things, right? Big things can come from a small beginning. You see, David was anointed as king over Israel. This 10 to 15-year-old kid is anointed as king over Israel, that, and, and it's all done in secret. Do you remember that? It's all done in secret. This isn't a big public coronation of a new king because King Saul is still sitting on the throne, right? So this is all done in secret. Samuel came to this little obscure, tiny little town of Bethlehem secretly, to anoint a new rival king. Sometimes things start so small, like a secret anointing, but in time it bloomed to be the glory days of Israel, didn't it? Because if, for centuries after this, for centuries after this, it would be said the best days, the best days for Israel was when David sat on the throne. Because you see, Israel had many, many kings after David, and none of them ever compared. None of them ever measured up to King David. Oh, if only we had another king like King David, they would say. You see, church, the things that begin so small, like the anointing of David, very young shepherd boy, became the glory days of Israel. And in our New Testament scripture that I read to you from Mark, just a few moments ago, Mark chapter 4, spoke of the kingdom of God in the same way, didn't it? The kingdom of God can start out as small as something as a grain of mustard seed. And it grows to be one of the largest plants in the garden where birds can set in its limbs and be sheltered by the shade. Jesus told us, he said, you know what? If you have faith over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things, he said. That gift that you have, I don't have a gift 
You do. Bible tells us every person has been given at least one gift. Most people more than one. But everybody has at least been given one. And that one gift that you have that seems so small, if you place that in the hands of God and allow Him to work through you, you would be surprised at the wonderful things you could do in this church and in this community. You know, I don't know if anybody here uh, remembers Mr. Albert Scraggs from Hernshaw. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Scraggs, um, he's been dead for years, hasn't he? For years and years. But there are still... Uh, a, a pretty large group of people in Hernshaw that remember him, okay? Uh, he, um, Mr. Scraggs had a home in Florida, and that's where he spent most of his time. I don't even know if I ever met the guy or not, but I've heard a lot about him. Uh, and he would come back to his home in Hernshaw occasionally. Well, on one of his trips from Florida back to Hernshaw, he brought back with him a, a, just a small piece of a, of a plant uh, that was growing down there, and he wanted to plant it on the hillside behind his house. And he planted it. And the name of the plant is called kudzu. Okay? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he, he planted, and from the, from the time he planted that on the hillside behind his house, it has been nothing but a nuisance since then. And even though Mr. Scraggs has been dead for several years, you'll still, still hear his name mentioned because they have tried every way in the world to kill that out. They have sprayed weed killer on it. They have cut it. They've tried digging it up by the roots. They have set it on fire. They've done everything. But guess what? It keeps coming back. You've seen it, right, along the side of the road. It'll cover abandoned homes. It'll cover trees. It'll cover roadways, signs. It covers everything in its path. You know what? Could that be what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 4, that scripture that I just read to you? If you and I would just plant the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's the scripture say? Some will plant and some will water. And what after that? God will add the increase. All we have to do is plant it. All some have to do is add a little water to it. After that, God takes over. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see salvation spread all over the state of West Virginia, all over America, like a field of kudzu? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? It could happen. It could. You know what? The, 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 the largest known tree in America, maybe the world, they've even given it a name. It's called the General Sherman. You ever heard of it? It's a giant sequoia tree it's in central California. And that thing, listen how big this thing is. I, I went online the other day and looked it up. This thing stands 275 foot tall, all right? It's 120, 102.6 feet around. It weighs, listen to this, 2,756 ton. I don't know how they weighed it, all right? It's estimated to be between 2,300 to 2,700 years old. You know how big the seed of a sequoia tree is? You know how big the seed is? It's like an oat flake. You eat oats in the morning? That's how big the seed is, and it weighs, this is from the Guinness Book of World Records, the seed of a sequoia tree, the seed weighs one six thousandth of an ounce. Isn't it amazing how something so big can come from something so small? You see, people of faith understand 
that even something as small as a tiny mustard seed can grow into a shrub that can house birds. Scripture about the prophet Samuel teaches us, don't waste your time living in the past. Don't do that. Don't waste your time living in the past. It reminds us God doesn't see things, church, the way you and I see things. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And it shows us that even the smallest, tiniest act of like anointing a 10 to 15-year-old kid to be king over Israel could be the glory days for that nation. So when you and I truly stop living in the past, when we truly remember that God doesn't see things the way we see things, and we begin to, we begin to uh, carry out these small acts of faith, when we begin to live that way, then we'll discover how it is to be people of faith, like these people that have been such an inspiration to me over the years, and some to you as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning that teaches us a very important lesson. Lord God, I just pray that we'll take these words this morning, we'll apply them to our lives. And Lord God, who knows, maybe somewhere down the road somebody can say, you know, I, I remember some of those people from the Winifred Church. They were people of great faith. And I remember them, Lord God. And I remember how they would say, you know what? God is faithful no matter what. No matter what happens, no matter what comes our way. God is faithful. And maybe we can leave an impression on someone's life like they, like they have left on ours. Lord, if there's one person here this morning who needs to come and pray, who needs to call upon your name, Father, I pray you speak to their heart this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.